I must not fear the cold open. The cold open is the mind killer. The cold open is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face the cold open. Where the cold open has gone, there will be nothing. Only the show will remain. Roll the intro. Welcome to episode 60 of Passion of the Geeks, the show in which two friends and fellow geeks talk about geek and pop culture and everything else we enjoy. I'm Greg. And I am Pat. And let's get on with this. Pat, episode 60. <laughs> I, I can't believe this. Wow. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. I, I never thought we'd get this far. Yeah, such a waste of time. <laughs> with such entertaining waste of time i mean i haven't done the numbers but i think more than half the episodes are full episodes so that's at least 30 hours and then with some uh yeah five 15 minutes uh unplugged episodes so we're probably around around 40 hours or something so that this is an entire work week of podcasting (laughs) maybe yeah so Let's do our best to add an entertaining hour to yeah that that list, and I think we have a pretty cool topic today. Mm-hmm. Oh, we do. We're going yes. to talk about the movie Dune that's out in cinemas right now, or in some areas of the world it's it's coming. So if you want a review of Dune, stay tuned for our story of the week. But we start the show as we always start the show with our new segment. Today I found out, Pat, anything interesting for us? Yes, I have a, a little interesting tech news bit. It's about the new Risk Five processor the Europeans made. They have sort of a conglomerate called the European Processor Initiative, EPI, and they have made a processor they call the European Processor Accelerator, or EPAC. And, uh, I mean, this is very interesting just for the fact that the Europeans now have their own processor. They are theoretically no longer required to buy them from China or from the US. Right now, the last thing I have seen from it, it's just printing Hello World in about 15 different languages because this is the European but yeah it's it's an interesting step I don't know if if it leads to something that would be really feasible but the idea is to put it into cars and and other European manufactured objects that would require a sort of processor there Uh, I think it's interesting if nothing else right now (laughs) considering that we're still in the middle of a chip shortage probably not the worst idea to produce your own chips oh yeah that's true (laughs) but yeah i mean as you said these are baby steps so it's it's probably gonna be a little time before these processors are actually usable yeah of course but it's an interesting process that the european sort of chip manufacturing is going through and i'm very interested to see where this will lead okay yeah interesting yeah but what about you what did you find out i think once for a change we actually have breaking news today and we're recording this on sunday and yesterday on saturday it was revealed that russell t davis is returning to doctor who so after the next season of uh, Doctor Who uh, with Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall is yeah is rapping. Uh, Russell T Davies returns with a new Doctor and hopefully some new cool storylines to uh, yeah give us some new and exciting Doctor Who. Part of me is really excited to have Russell T Davies returning to the job that he did very very well more than a decade ago I think at this point. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, the, the revival started in 2005, didn't it? So 
Yeah, so, yeah, 2005. And he did it, he did the Eccleston and the Tenant years. So yeah, that's, that's more than 10 years ago. So mm. yeah, he's returning. I have to admit, I'm actually, I, I like the current run uh, with Chris Simmel and Jodie Whittaker as well. I wasn't the biggest fan of the later Moffat years, mm. even though I kind of uh, like the choice of Peter Capaldi as the doctor, but the storylines were, yeah, didn't do it for me. But yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to get some cool new Doctor Who episodes in the not too distant future. What about you? Yeah, I'm pretty much. Uh, I think. Uh, I mean, Moffat. I didn't like the storylines where he was going, and I kind of lost it there. I liked Capaldi as a doctor, and I liked Clara, but the storylines just were so off-putting that I kind of stopped watching Doctor Who and honestly uh, I have to confess I've, I've never returned up until now and I still want to see the episodes with uh, Whitaker because uh, I think it's interesting to have a female doctor what uh, what they will do with it uh, except just gender swapping is one thing but really having stories around that that would be interesting but I'm looking forward to Russell T. Davies. I mean, he did a great job and he knows the Doctor Who stuff. So uh, I think it will be great, uh, a great opportunity for him to return. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on. Pat, do you have anything interesting for our listeners to check out this week? Yeah, actually I do. Uh, something small though, but yeah, you know, I'm kind of the Masters of the Universe fan. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I was, I liked Revelation a lot. I'm looking forward to that second season or second part or whatever they're calling it. And there is another He-Man and the Masters of the Universe show that has started on Netflix. And the thing is, this show is not for adults. <laughs> it's aimed at children and uh, they just take the basic premise of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe and they do a lot of different stuff with it. And, you know, I'm not the target audience, but I actually kind of like it. I like what they did, how different it is to the original He-Man and still how much of the basic heart of the He-Man cartoons is still in there. I watch it with my son and I am well entertained. Uh, I like it. Okay. I haven't seen it. I've seen it pop up, but the I have to admit the, the animation style put me off a little bit. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. <laughs> so I decided to, yeah, skip this one until, yeah, the Revelation Part 2 comes out. Yeah. I mean, uh, the the whole design is well very aimed at children. It's it's loud. It's it looks a bit like Final Fantasy characters, <laughs> but uh, once you get past it, there's great storylines for okay. children. Yeah. For children, I mean, yeah, it's okay if something is for children. Not everything needs to be for adults. Yeah, exactly. Especially not some franchises from 30 years ago. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <clears throat> what about you, Greg? Uh, I'm trying to keep it brief as well. There are two things I would like to recommend this week. I've played a little bit of Deathloop on my PS5. Deathloop is the new game by Arcane Studios, published by Bethesda. I think it's one of the last big games that is PS5 exclusive before Bethesda does only Microsoft Game Pass games. But that being said, I'm really glad that I started playing it. I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a huge fan of Arcane because I haven't really finished most of their games, but kind of recently through Game Pass... I became very, very keen and very, very interested in Dishonored and Prey. So I really like those two games. So I thought, yeah, let's check out Deathloop. And 
I'm about two, three hours in, and I really, really like it a lot so far. Uh, the gameplay is very similar, or at least up to this point, very similar to Dishonored, which is uh, a good thing. And the kind of the big gimmick or the, you know, the the cool concept they use in Deathloop is that it's basically Dishonored on an island that's stuck in a Groundhog Day. So you have this time loop, uh, kind of yeah, the, the day that repeats all the time, and you yeah you collect information through the day in the hope that you can use it the next day to maybe down the line at one point break the loop so it's yeah so far i really really like it and i'm definitely are going to play more so that's death loop on ps5 you haven't played it not yet i will buy it for windows it will be available or it is available on windows i think i'm a huge arcane fan uh since they're uh, first Arx Fatalis yeah. game. And uh, so um, I had planned buying it. Okay. And the second thing is Why the Last Man? Long time in the making uh, adaptation of the Brian K. Warren and Pia Guerra comic book that I really, really enjoy. So it's now the first three or four episodes are out on either FX on Hulu or around here on Disney+. Plus. And I have to admit, I really like the first three episodes. Probably the weakest part of the of the whole thing is the last man is Yorick, but all the women around him are actually pretty cool. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely keep watching because yeah, I really like the comic. Not sure if it's the best time for the show to finally come out during a pandemic, because in the yeah, in the first episode, when they show how all the men die, they don't pull any punches. But yeah, so Why the Last Man? Actually, yeah, I quite like it. That sounds great. I've read at least one of the collected volumes of Why the Last Man. I think even two, but I'm not sure right now. But I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's available on Disney Plus. So there's no reason not to check it out when you when you're a subscriber yeah. there. Okay, so right. that only leaves today's story of the week. I know you. One day, the legend will be born. All of civilization depends on it. The future. I can see it. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. And yeah, we're going to talk about Dune, the uh, new movie that's been out since about 10 days here uh, in, yeah, I would say, Central Europe. It's coming out uh, later this year, I think in October. In, I think in America, 22nd of October, I think. Day and date in, in theaters and on HBO Max because of their hybrid release strategy. But uh, we're not talking about the business side of things too much. We're here to talk Dune. So I thought uh, we start a little bit by just briefly... Uh, talk about our relationship to Dune itself, maybe talk a little bit about some older adaptations and mm. then go straight into a review, first spoiler-free and then with spoilers of the yeah 2021 version of Dune by Denis Villeneuve. Yes. So yeah, Pat, what's your relationship to, uh, with Dune? Well, I, I actually, the first thing about Dune that I have experienced was the Lynch movie. I have seen the movie before I read the book. And I think that was good <laughs> because the Lynch movie, I still love it a lot. Despite all its flaws, uh, I think it's just, it's just an awesome movie in its own way. <laughs> 
But uh, shortly thereafter, I've I wa- I've read the first book, and then it took quite a while uh, until I had the. How should I put it? I mean, the book is relatively long, <laughs> and around eight hundred pages yeah. or something. Yeah, but I was a teenager then, <laughs> or or not even quite a teenager. So I was very young. And it kind of stuck with me, the book. And it took a while until I was ready to read another book um, from the Dune series. And I've reread the book uh, this year during my summer holidays. Uh, I actually wanted to reread the second one as well, but I had a lot of fun. (laughs) So not that much time to read, but I've reread the first one. How about you, Greg? When did you experience Dune? Similar to you, I also seen the movie, the Lynch movie, before I read the books. And I think I read the books probably in the 90s at some point. But as far as I remember, I only read Dune and Dune Messiah. I didn't read any of the other books. Maybe that's something I need to remedy at some point. Uh, You talked about the Lynch movie. And I mean, I like the Lynch version. For all its flaws, yeah, it's a very, very interesting movie, but it's not a good adaptation of Dune. <laughs> no, it isn't. It isn't. Not at all, I mean, there, actually. <laughs> there, there, there are actually, there are really cool moments yeah. in there. There are some interesting, I mean, it's, it's bold. There are some interesting choices and everything. So it's very, very interesting, mm-hmm. but it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> No, but yeah. That being said, if you haven't seen the Lynch version of Dune, it's a wild ride. Go for it. Yeah, it's available on Netflix, it. so um, there's no reason not to watch it. Um, yeah. If I may suggest not watching the four-hour made-for-TV special edition, there is a lot more information in there, and one might think this might be a good thing, but I, <laughs> I don't. It's unwatchable. No. It's unwatchable. <laughs> And David Lynch agrees. Yeah. He took he took his name off the TV version. <laughs> yeah. I think it's as if if I remember correctly, it the TV version is directed by Alan Smitty. Mm. Yeah. And written by Judas Booth. <laughs> so yeah, he he he's not a fan of that version. He's not. Nah, a fan. he's not a fan. And I mean, it does not make the movie any better. I, 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 there are plot holes. There are things that are unexplained and everything. Uh, but somehow, despite these, the shorter version works a lot better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There was a mini series. Mm. Uh, Dune and Children of Dune in the I think it was in the early two thousands, yeah. but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Did you Did you see that one? Uh, I I have seen the miniseries back then when it first aired, and I remembered not liking it. And I actually kind of rewatched the miniseries uh, for this podcast, and with kind of I mean I. <laughs> Uh, I fast forwarded through certain segments of the miniseries and <laughs> I don't like it. There is obviously, uh, when, when we talk about uh, directing and everything, uh, the technology has aged poorly. It's, it's, it was bad CGI back then. And it's even worse now when you watch it. It really looks like, uh, a, a cutscene from a, a mid '90s PlayStation game, so <laughs> at parts, and it has some really strange directing choices. I, uh, yeah, it's a little more accurate to the book than the Lynch movie. But hmm. did did you watch it, Greg? Did you did? I I watched it as well. I think I remember liking it, but I think it was probably just for the story because uh, I liked the story. There were some decent actors, to be honest. Yeah, some of them were I, not. I just, I just felt it was way too long mm-hmm. uh, and kind of yeah, nothing really happened. And as you said, 
I think the budget or the technology of the time that was available for that amount of money was detrimental to the quality of the whole thing. Yeah. Plus, uh, the actor who plays Paul, he wasn't very good. And uh, which is strange because he returned, actually returned in Children of Dune. And he was way better then. Uh, I don't know what exactly happened. Was it bad directing or something? Maybe, I don't um, know. But it was really hard to watch him trying to do that Paul stuff. Didn't really work. Yeah, I just remember, especially the the second miniseries, Children of Dune, mm-hmm. I just remember that one had pretty cool music oh, yeah. by a, a young Brian Tyler, so to speak. Yeah, the music from Children of Dune is fantastic. Um, really, it... it uh, and of course, um, James McAvoy was really great. James McAvoy was uh, yeah. as late to the second. So, mm. um, yeah, it had some of the same problems, especially with the CGI. But all in all, it was much better directed. It's, it's actually a pretty great series. And it kind of combines uh, the second and the third book. Yeah. So it's, yeah, because yeah, the second one is Dune Messiah mm. and they mm. called it. Children of yes, Dune. Yeah, exactly. Are you familiar with the Jodorowsky version of Dune? Or, yeah, lack thereof? <laughs> I wasn't until you told me about it. And I, had, I made a little bit of research going into that. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not quite as familiar as you are. This, you, you're, you told me how wild and interesting that version would have been if it would have been made i mean there is a documentary called jodorowsky's dune where they go into the whole story of yeah that adaptation fell apart and the thing is it just looked to me like a balls to the walls weird all-in adaptation with crazy choices at every turn and I'm pretty sure this movie would have had similar problems than the Lynch version. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it w- wouldn't have been a very faithful adaptation of the whole story. Mm-hmm. That being said, the imagination that's on display, at, le- at least in the documentary, is just awe-inspiring. And kind of the team that Jodorowsky uh, got together, I mean... They went on to create or work on so many cool science fiction projects. Like, I mean, half his crew went on to do Aliens or Alien. And uh, even we're going to talk about the uh, the, the, the Denis Villeneuve version today. There are some concept arts from Jodorowsky's Dune that remind me of the visuals Mm -hmm. that we, we saw in the Villeneuve's version. So... Uh, that one would have been very, very interesting. A sight to see, probably with a lot of issues, <laughs> but very, very interesting nevertheless. I mean, yeah, interesting, but probably not good. Yeah, I think, as you said, the, the, the things I have seen about that version or I have read about that version, I think it would have been even more... Um, uh, it would have made Paul even more in this god or jesus-like figure yeah very very not what uh herbert actually wanted to depict him as so the fans wouldn't have liked it Uh, it would have been great to see but the fans would definitely not have liked it might have been very divisive yeah (laughs) yeah what i've seen uh from concept art and everything uh, I, I would have loved to watch it, really. <laughs> and they had Salvador Dali as the emperor. Yeah, <laughs> which is always a plus. <laughs> and, and they were supposed to have a kind of soundtrack by uh, some, some kind of French band and also by Pink Floyd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? <laughs> Wild. And uh, and I'm not sure if that was a nod to Jodorowsky's version of Dune as well. In one of the trailers for uh, the new Dune, they used a remix of a Pink Floyd song. Ah, okay. <laughs> I'm 
maybe that was a little, yeah. A, a little nod. nod. A little nod. Probably, yeah. <laughs> nice. Any any other Dune property uh, we, we should go into before we dive into the newest version? I think it's time to dive into Villeneuve's version of Dune. Dune 2021, directed by Denis Villeneuve, written by Villeneuve, John Spades and Eric Roth. What are your spoiler-free thoughts about Dune 2021? Well, the first thing I have to say, and, and this isn't a spoiler, but just overall, I think it's a fantastic movie. It's probably... The best movie I've seen all year, probably. <laughs> but maybe I'm a, a bit biased. It's also the first movie I've seen in <laughs> in theaters. So, um, and this is really a movie that is made for theaters. The visuals are fantastic. And also the sound design, even if I have a couple of problems with some of the sound design, we can talk about that later. But uh, I, I love it. It's It's made... For theaters. So if you have the chance to watch it in a theater, do it. But what I would definitely I would definitely agree with that assessment. <laughs> it was my second movie on the big screen since the whole pandemic started. It was Dune and a little bit before Godzilla vs. Kong. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, yeah, this is definitely the best movie I've seen in a theater in a very, very long time. <laughs> well, it's, it's not just the best movie I've seen in a theater. It's it's really, I think, the best movie that I have seen this year that, that was released this year. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it's pretty much. So this is not just an empty, <laughs> an empty award. No, it's, it's not a backhanded compliment. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's I, I would agree. Yeah. Go see it on the biggest screen you can find. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there. Yeah, I don't want to have this discussion whether or not you can have a good movie on a television screen or whatever. But this is definitely cinema made for the biggest screen possible. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, it, it's like Lawrence of Arabia. You don't want to watch Lawrence of Arabia on a, on a mobile, mobile phone. <laughs> you don't yeah, want to watch. You shouldn't. You don't want to watch Dune uh, on a mobile phone because, yeah, it's visually stunning. Mm. Uh, the cast is amazing. Oh, yes. Everyone, kind of from the bigger to the smaller roles, everyone does a really good job and all of them deliver. Mm-hmm. I mean, Timothy Chalamet is great as Paul. Yeah. Rebecca Ferguson is great uh, as his mom. Oscar Isaac is a cool Leto. Yeah. The Harkonnens are just, you, you just have to hate them. <laughs> I mean, come on, they're, they're so, yeah, you just, you just shudder when you look at them. I mean, Dave Bautista, he's always cool. <laughs> I, I always enjoy him. Gurney is played by Josh Brolin, always good. I mean, Jason Momoa, as Duncan Idaho always, I mean, he, yeah, it, it, it's, it just works. And I have to admit, even though she was only on screen for a very, very short time, I like Zendaya as Chani as well. Mm-hmm. Javier Bardem as Stilgar, also pretty cool. So I don't know what they did to get such a great cast, but yeah, everyone is doing a really, really, really good job. Yeah, everyone... Uh seems to have a lot of fun with their parts. So um, that, I mean, you have already said it, especially uh, Shalome as Paul, he is amazing. I mean, this is a, a really difficult role to play. And I think he did an awesome job. To contrast it a little bit with the David Lynch version, I like that he's a little bit younger mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than Kyle MacLachlan was. Or I mean, or, yeah, honestly, yes. I'm not even sure if, if if he's so much younger, but he just looks a lot mm-hmm. younger. Mm-hmm. And I like that that he is yeah a younger Paul. Yeah, yeah, I, I really like that. I mean, in the book, he's 15, 
And um, yeah. in the book, he it's, it's mentioned repeatedly that he is rather small for his age. So yeah. uh, I think Chalamet fits perfectly. And, and, and Chalamet is a good actor. He's a yeah, good actor. Yeah. That the stare he has sometimes, it's it's <laughs> directly into your soul. <laughs> it's he's, he's a good eye actor. Yeah. I like Rebecca Ferguson a lot in general. Mm-hmm. And she, I mean, it's a difficult role playing Lady Jessica because she switches between uh, this uh, afraid mother and then this... Bene Gesserit uh, nun or, or whatever you call it. That, that it's it's the the difference between these two roles that Jessica plays is she's awesome in that. Yeah, Rebecca Ferguson always great, and mm. yeah, she she does a great job here as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. There's not that much to go into here without, yeah, at least spoiling a few things a little bit. Uh, what I would like to say is I just hope that everyone goes and watches this movie because I think this movie needs to make a lot of money to make sure that we get part two. Mm. Because, yeah, that's the that's probably the biggest spoiler. You get right uh, straight in the beginning. Uh, part Dune. Part one. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that when I, uh, I came to the movie because I, you know, I try not to read too much uh, when it comes to movie news. And I didn't know it's just yeah. the first part. I really thought going in that's the whole story. Yeah. But, um, and when then there, there was Dune part one displayed uh, on the silver screen, it was like, I was like, is it? really just the first movie part or is it like a chapter in the movie there always part one and in half of the movie there will be part two <laughs> something like that i mean you i have seen movies do that so there are movies who do that yeah there are movies uh, who do that yeah but unfortunately not this one <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's clear pretty soon by the pace they have and by the the detail they uh have put into the movie that it cannot be the whole story and i actually think that's a great thing it's it's not a short movie it has it's it's more than two hours isn't it two and a half two hours and it's half 150 hours. minutes or something but it's yeah. never boring it's it's never boring never yeah. you never look at your watch and think oh oh god how long is this happening <laughs> but you're, you're always with them and um I mean, kudos to that. It's it's not easy to make a two and a half hour movie that does not have uh, an ending per se that this interesting. And they chose an excellent point to end it. So um, yeah, yeah, that that was. But really we're, cool. we're we're not going to reveal that yet because I think that's oh, a yeah. spoiler discussion. Yeah. If I may say something. Well, not negative, but maybe something that I personally didn't like as much was the music. Uh, I think it worked fantastically within the movie, but um, we were talking about that. I kind of missed a little bit uh, a more uh, having more themes, a leitmotiv, so to speak, to get for the characters for. I don't know, for Arrakis or something. I I kind of was hoping for a little more uh, like Brian Tyler did in Children of Dune. But this is not what Hans Zimmer made. It's it's more, you called it a soundscape, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I was a little bit disappointed about that, but it's personal taste. And I think the the soundtrack works fantastic in the movie. You you liked it. I'm not surprised that you don't like it because yeah, you you like those big yeah. leitmotif heavy soundtracks, <laughs> yeah. and it's currently it's not the way how movie soundtracks are made at the moment. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm I'm not not sure if it's completely Hans Zimmer's fault that uh, it, it is like that, but yeah, I have I have to admit I've been listening to the soundtrack uh, a little bit in the uh-huh. yeah last two weeks, and it's really really growing on me. Okay, there are some very subtle motifs or light motifs that that keep coming mm-hmm. coming up that uh, they are in there, but yeah, overall it's. I would say a bit toned down. Mm. It's, yeah, I describe it as a soundscape. But I have to admit, and when you say so as well, it, it fits very well to the movie that we're, we're watching. Mm. I think the way the movie is shot, kind of, yeah, it's all, even though it's a sci fi story with fantasy elements and everything, it's very naturalistic. What's Will Nerf is trying to do kind of to create a, a real sense of a real world. Yeah. And I think he's succeeding. Definitely. And I think oh, an overt use of light motifs and kind of, yeah, for every heroic deed, there is the hero theme or the Duncan Idaho theme shows up when he shows up and there is Paul's prophecy theme. <laughs> and yeah, I, I feel like that would almost be something... Yeah, yep. too overtly white saviorish. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, good point. Good point. We talked about that a little bit. I mean, yeah, technically there are elements, at least up to this point, there are elements of a white savior story in there. That, sure, uh, at least in the book, Frank Herbert elaborates a little bit on that issue and on on that theme. Mm-hmm. But if you give your white savior. Even if he isn't one in the end, if you give him a too popular theme, you kind of risk him overshadowing everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I see or I kind of it makes sense to me why they chose the yeah. approach of this more kind of, yeah, more soundscape approach. And yeah, I mean, thing is when you, when you look at the Prime Tyler score, even though it's really, really good, when you just listen to it, nothing screams Dune. It could be just a generic action movie score set somewhere else as well. Hmm. Whereas here for the for the Zimmer score, I I kind of feel, or at least to me, it it sounds like a desert planet. I agree that Brian Tyler's score is not very deserty. <laughs> If yeah. that's a word, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with with your um, with your explanation, and I think you're right there. That that could pretty well. I'm always right, oh, yeah, Pat. You should know that by uh, now. I forgot. <laughs> okay, if this is it for the spoiler-free part, I think. Yeah. So we're yeah we're diving into some spoilers. So yep. Yeah, Go watch it on the biggest screen possible. Mm-hmm. We need part two. We need. We need part two. Okay, coming up, spoilers for June 2021. Spoiler alert! You've been warned. Okay, Pat, spoilers now. Everything is everything is open. What do you want to talk about? Well, first, I mean, I don't know if it's a spoiler per se, but... Uh, the the way the movie stays with the general book, with the story of the book, uh, it, it was really, really great. Uh, because the, there are a couple of little things that's in the book that stayed with me uh, that, that I found very important that are not in the Lynch version. And one of the little things that I, I'm glad they included that is the thing with the palm trees on Arrakis. Um, how, how important they are and, and how much they represent what the Fremen actually want, even though it's each of the trees takes the water of 30 men each day and uh i think this is this is an image that i really really liked in the book and 
I'm glad that it stayed in the movie. It might not be as important to the plot or everything, but it's something that I felt that was great. I liked the inclusion of that scene as well. And kind of generally speaking, I mean, Dune part one stays very, very close to the book mm-hmm. and kind of is a very, very faithful adaptation. And I think this scene with the with the trees, I liked it because... It did two things. It showed how important these trees or kind of that the belief that something can grow here is to the Fremen, kind of to the people living on Arrakis. But it also allowed uh, Paul an interesting moment to learn something about Fremen culture, learn something about Arrakis. Because if I remember correctly, when when the guy tells him how much water these trees need, Paul's instinct is, yeah, Maybe we should cut them down and mm. give the water to to people, yeah. which 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 seems to me makes him an, a kind of a good guy because yeah, I think people are more important than trees. Yeah. But then the guy says, no, no, but the, these trees they they are important to us. Yeah. So I, exactly. I like this. It is a scene that did two things. It gave us some exposition. We learned a little bit about Arrakis, but we also learned a little bit about Paul. Mm. So. Kind of, yeah. It's always a good scene if you're if you're able to do two things at once. Yeah, and then later when they burn, it's just deeper. It's just it just has more impact on you. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, I think it's okay. They left out, you know, in the book, there is this hidden garden in the palace, uh, and with that, with the message from someone some higher up uh i don't remember exactly yeah it's been a while (laughs) but uh it's okay they left out that part uh because we already have everything that we need about planned life and everything and yeah that's that's okay yeah i I mean it's even though it's a two and a half hour movie you have to i mean it's an 800 page book you have to cut a few things you have to cut a few things Here's the thing, and uh, obviously we're, we're, we're having our notes here, and you mentioned something that you didn't like, and I mentioned it as something I liked. The Paul has visions of Johnny ah, throughout, yes. the whole, throughout the whole movie, mm-hmm. and you're not the biggest fan of that. And here's the thing, I actually, I really, really like that, because it's it's almost a framing device for the whole movie that... Paul keeps having visions of this blue-eyed girl and he sees her even though he has absolutely no idea who she is and he keeps seeing her because, yeah, that's, I would say, that's his connection to Arrakis first and foremost is her and her blue eyes and everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, and now we're getting to the spoiler part and then she shows up 10 minutes before the movie ends. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And for me, because I was able, or because we saw her throughout the whole movie, even 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 just glimpses, we knew that this meeting was something important, mm. and so did so did Paul. So it was important to to meet her, and I think that's why it was okay that the movie ended there. That's certainly one one part. No, uh, the the thing is, it's not that I didn't like the visions. I think, I just think they overdid it a little bit. Um, How they, I mean, one part that is interesting is they grow the the visions when when he is on Arrakis, when he breathes in the spice. And that's certainly an, an element that's not bad. I just think... Well, it, sometimes it felt like, to me at least, okay, these visions could have been a bit shorter, uh, a bit. I mean, we we can see that Paul's visions are not one hundred percent accurate, at least not yet. He has a couple of visions that do not come true or or turn out differently than what he sees, and I think that is great. Uh, one of these visions 
uh, is also, um, I mean, she kills him in one of the visions, or at least that's what he feels like, probably more uh, in form of a metaphor and not, uh, you know, literally killing him. I just think it could have been toned down a little bit. It always felt to me that they just made them this long and this often because maybe they were contractually obligated to give um, the actress a certain amount of screen time. I don't know. I, I thought I could have done with a little less of that. As far as I heard, she only had a few days on set, actually. <laughs> okay. Well, that's great. <laughs> she, she was shown to us a lot mm. because she is so important. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And we, we kind of, maybe she's the one of the main reasons why Paul decides to go with the Fremen in the end, because he had visions of her. That's, that, at least that's how I read it. Well, uh, the way it's, it's, it's set in the movie, I think this is true, yeah. I mean, he had uh, dreams of Arrakis before, and he always uh, had dreams of that one blue-eyed girl, that's also in the books. To talk about something else, I mean, there is the role of Kynes. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, as Kynes was gender-swapped, something I have absolutely no problem with. And I have to admit, I liked her story in this version a, a bit better than in the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Because in, in the book, she, she dies in an explosion. <laughs> yeah, of, of spice gas. Yeah, and here she is shot by, yeah, I think it's, uh, her Conan soldiers. Yeah. And she takes them, well, when, when she dies, she takes them with, uh, she takes them with her, uh, and she attracts a sandworm mm -hmm. and they get swallowed. And I like that death a lot more. Well, for two reasons. First of all, it's more active for her. Yeah. And number two, it gives us the chance to see a sandworm again. <laughs> and they look really cool. Oh, they are. They really look cool. It's a great design that they chose. It's it's different than the the, the Lynch movie, mm -hmm. and also different than what they did in the miniseries. Uh, but I like it a lot. It they are massive. They are fearsome, and they're they're much more warmy. If <laughs> if that yeah. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But speaking of of kinds. I mean, the original Kinds uh, has a long, drawn-out vision or, or hallucination and talking to his father. We learn a lot of great things about everything in the book. But I think it's a good idea that they chose to not do all that talking with the dead father. Um, that would have been, I think, unnecessary we we learn everything we need to know about Arrakis uh, in the movie. Um, probably we will learn more about Arrakis and the worms uh, back uh, than in part two. And but for now, we really have enough information. We have everything we need, and this is 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 great. We have just that what we need, and we uh, again, as you said. It's a more active death, and it allows you to to see two things. Uh, first, the thumpers. We already know how they work and how they look and what they do. And we also already see that the Fremen can apparently ride the worms. Um, we, we don't see Kynes doing that, but we see her... Uh, getting the gear to ride a worm out, and it's it's pretty clear that she calls it for a reason, yeah. and that reason is not to to kill the Sardaukar. I mean, they they come later, they uh, they just get to her in time, and then that more active part uh, by uh, they uh, still calling the worm with her hand by making rhythmic noises. Uh, I don't know how effective it is, but uh, apparently it's enough. And making her more, I would say, a martyr. 
then uh, then in the book kinds he's just it's just uh, left out there to rot and then uh, by coincidence he just explodes on a, on a spice gas bubble but the new kinds she is an awesome character in its own way and i really wonder if they will do more with her um, maybe well maybe make it make her related to chani maybe maybe That would have been my guess at this point. Yeah, I think the miniseries did something similar, but mm. the, their kinds was still a man, and and he exploded on 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 swamp gas, uh, on spice gas, not swamp gas. <laughs> so uh, that will be very interesting where this leads. But really great choice with the death by worm, and uh, yeah, that that was great. That was awesome. Uh, I mean, just to not just be gushing over this movie all the time. If there's one criticism that I have, it's that the whole story, the whole movie, this part one is basically just a prologue. Yeah. And most of the characters, they don't really have arcs. They don't really change that much. And the thing is, yeah, Paul is on his hero's journey. But depending on how you look at it, he, he just crossed the threshold. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. Do you have anything else you want to want to say about the movie? Because I, I kind of have a question or two questions to well, wrap this whole discussion up here. Yeah, it's just one little thing I want to add is the Baron. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, wonderfully played by Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, he's wonderfully, really wonderfully wonderful. played. And, you know, the the Baron, though, truly cool in the Lynch movie, he wasn't a very effective villain. He was very uh, over-the-top, very gross. It was ridiculous. <laughs> he was, yeah, he, ridiculous. He, here's the thing. Where, <laughs> what, He was moustache twirlingly evil. <laughs> yeah, but he he was he wasn't menacing. I mean, he was, he was just ridiculous. He wasn't it, menacing. It was fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, and you know, he'll know. Is <laughs> is awesome, but <laughs> but not really good. <laughs> He's awesome to watch if you're in the mood for something. But this Baron, he is almost exactly like the book describes him. He, he's scheming, he is plotting, and uh, he he is maybe not as fat uh, or as obese as the the book explains he is. And in the book, he kind of wears this. I think it's a belt, uh, an anti-grav belt that allows him to actually move because he's so obese. And in the book, he cannot fly and this is something that the lunch movie did that the miniseries did and now something that this movie did as well it it made the baron able to well, float um, but this movie uses that device as a means to explain why the Baron is not death by poison, not dead by poison. And I think if you have a, a Baron Harkonnen or Harkonnen, uh, I'm never clear how this should be pronounced. Me neither, me neither. I mean, just go with it. <laughs> two ends. Maybe it's really Harkonnen like they do in the new movie. So um, maybe that's the, the better pronunciation. But anyway, uh, It's if you have a flying baron, then use it for something uh, that actually makes the baron cool and rescue him from from gas. That's I think that was a brilliant choice. I like that a lot. Yeah, me too. As I said before, he's he's menacing, he's scheming, mm -hmm. and I think the. The whole political intrigue part of the of, of the story came through quite well. Yeah, e even though we 
we haven't seen the emperor yet. No, we haven't. We also haven't seen Princess Irulan, who is yeah. actually the book's narrator, kind of. So uh, that's an interesting choice, not showing these two. I mean, Irulan will be a very, very important person for Paul. Uh, it's interesting not to show her earlier, but well, I'm looking forward to see her. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. So let's see who they cast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So to, to get back to what I want to say initially there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my small criticism that it's just a prologue. Would you have preferred a three-hour complete version of Dune? You know, um, you, you know, I like the David Lynch movie for what it for what it is. And if you if you not see it as a Dune adaptation, it's in its own way a pretty cool movie. And I always thought that maybe it should be a miniseries. Dune should be uh, made into a miniseries. And after seeing the miniseries, I still thought, uh, no, it didn't really work. Because then there's just not enough budget to bring it mm -hmm. believably on screen. Because the visuals, they, they do a lot for this kind of story. And I think having a two-part movie could be exactly what we need to get Frank Herbert's Dune on screen. So, no, I probably wouldn't have preferred another movie that would have been shortened to three hours. What about you? That's a very good explanation that I agree with. But on the other hand, why does everyone need to have a sequel these days? <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be technically not a sequel, is it? Yeah, technically it's just part of you. I mean, they, they did it with yeah. Lord of the Rings and it worked perfectly there. Yeah. And I think this is probably the yeah the idea they're going for here. Which, which just leaves me with one more question. Do we think they just finished the Dune movie? Or do they introduce elements from Dune Messiah and Children of Dune as well? You know, that is actually a, a, a very good question. Because, I mean, and I've told you after we've seen the movie, uh, I think it's, it's a little bit like in The NeverEnding Story, where we only got, the, uh, as a movie, we only got part of the journey that, Bastian actually did and it's it's great for a movie and it's basically a very uh, an awesome movie uh, but without that other part the journey of the character is not complete and I think that Paul's journey is not complete at the end of the first Dune book no it's not he becomes sort of the Messiah, but what it means uh, is this is explained in the second book, especially in the second book. I mean, it's it's sort of then goes on and on, but <laughs> yeah, I think it's an incomplete story or an incomplete character arc, and I wonder if if they will address something like that. I mean, if if you look at the time the movie takes, I don't think so because <laughs> they, they probably uh, hardly have enough time to actually get the first book on screen in in this detailed manner. I I don't know. Uh, part of me thinks okay, maybe they just focus on Paul's rise mm -hmm. and leave out the fall. Yeah. Maybe they focus on both of these things. I would like to see part of the fall as well. Yeah. I'm not sure I would like that in Dune part two. Maybe there is a part three or four or I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a trilogy would be great. <sighs> yeah. Th that that being said, I I'm I'm gonna gonna be a bold predictor right now. I predict that Dune Part two 
will deviate from the book more than part one did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're going to change a few things. And um, I don't think they're coming up with a new ending, Mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure they're they're changing a few things. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they took a little bit of the focus away from Paul and gave a little bit more focus to the Fremen, especially Chani. Yeah, that's a good point. That, That could be, yes. Or, or, or maybe they, because they haven't introduced Irulan, maybe they need some time for her as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if Paul had a, took a little bit of a backseat in, in mm-hmm. part two. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's just my prediction, not based on any information I have. The, the thing is, um, one thing I am pretty sure is it won't rain on Arrakis at the end. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, <laughs> but um, that that would have been the end of the Chodorowsky movie, I think. Uh, it's it's the end of the Lynch movie, and uh, yeah. I think Chodorowsky had the mm. same idea. Had the same, yeah, same ending plan. I, I, yeah, it would be a green planet afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the the sandworms would be dead, and uh, mm. yeah, space travel would be gone. But <laughs> maybe, but. Um, the the thing is that uh, you mentioned uh, the 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 little thing a bit with the white savior, and I think a lot of a, a lot of implication of a white savior could be undone if we see his fall. Yeah, because that is where Herbert was going. That's where he was going. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that would be interesting. I mean, I don't know. I haven't read any reviews of Dune, but I wouldn't be surprised if people would say, it's a great movie and everything, but, oh, it's a white savior movie or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised that anyone would think that. Up to this point, it kind of is. Yeah, Yeah, up to this point, it kind of is. Because... And, and that's great in the movie. The Fremen are actually a very diverse group. There is every skin color in there that you can imagine. And so it is in the book because uh, they were kind of planted there. The Fremen are just humans that have been planted there uh, thousands of years ago. But, um, yeah, and, and the Lynch movie... But when, when you look at the kind of the invasion of or kind of the coming of the Atreides or even the Harkonnens, <laughs> it's it's coded imperialistic. Yeah, I mean... I mean, they, they have the... When they land, they have the bagpipe sound, which is, <laughs> yeah. yeah, British imperialism, come on. So it's, they're, it's, they're coding it that way, and well, deliberately so, obviously. Well, maybe they they also wanted to, to make it look less American, <laughs> With the bagpipes and everything, because if if you just uh, if you just have the gist of the story, then it would be uh, a Western culture comes and invades a desert <laughs> with oil <laughs> because of oil. Yes, the spice basically is oil, and if that doesn't sound like Americans <laughs> in the Middle East, then I don't know what it is, but. <laughs> So I think the fall of Paul from a non-white savior point would mm-hmm. be very, very important. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've, we've talked for more than an hour already. <laughs> and when we, we, we thought we could uh, make this episode a little bit shorter. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there are so many other things to talk, uh, talk about Dune. I think we can leave it at that for today. Yeah. There, there would be a lot of other things we could talk about, and it would be interesting to talk about this. But I think you've we postponed that for part two. Yeah, yeah. this is just part one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, m- maybe when we talk Dune part two, we have yeah. to also settle the question: Why is it always that in sci-fi movies that are set in the future? There, there's always an imperium. There's always an emperor. There's always a princess and stuff like that. Why do they have these arcane systems of government in the future? 
But I think that's an that's a discussion for another time. Yeah. Okay, let's wrap this up. <laughs> this is it for this week. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We're on all major podcasting services, YouTube, and on www.passionofthegeeks.com. You can send questions and suggestions to passionofthegeeks at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at PassionOTGeeks. Pat, as always, it was really, really nice to talk to you about Dune. Yeah. Looking forward to yeah many, many more cinema visits with you. Oh, yeah. Me too. I love being back in the theater. <laughs> so, then take care, Greg. Yes, take care. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Mm-hmm.